Hi everyone, welcome to Unbound Talks featured by Bookleaf. In this review series, we'll be spinning our theories midway through the book and later unravel the truth once we complete it. If you'd like to receive updates to read along with our podcast, please follow us on Facebook at Bookleaf or on Twitter at Unbound Tours. I hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, I'm Haley and I'm happy to be coming to you again with another Unbound Talks review. Our first episode, we reviewed Crescent City by Sarah J. Moss and today we'll be reviewing Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. This series, we thought it would be fun to review books halfway and chat about our theories. I personally do this anyway, so why not bring it to a podcast, right? I'm joined by my good friend, Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm a reader, writer, blogger, and welcome to our podcast. Here's our summary of Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Galaxy Alex Stern is the most unlikely member of Yale's freshman class. Raised in the Los Angeles hinterlands by a hippie mom, Alex dropped out of school early and into a world of shady drug dealer boyfriends, dead-end jobs, and much, much worse. By age 20, in fact, she is the sole survivor of a horrific, unsolved, multiple homicide. Some might say she's thrown her life away, but at her hospital bed, Alex has offered a second chance to attend one of the world's most elite universities on a full ride. What's the catch, and why her? Still searching for answers to this herself, Alex arrives in New Haven, tasked by her mysterious benefactors with monitoring the activities of Yale's secret societies. The eight windowless tombs are well known to be haunts of the future rich and powerful, from high-ranking politics to Wall Street and Hollywood's biggest players. But their occult activities are revealed to be more sinister and more extraordinary than any paranoid imagination might conceive. What did you kind of first think before even reading the book and when you were actually into it? What do you think? So before reading the book, I knew it was going to be kind of a a dark horror kind of story. Uh, But as far as when I started reading it, I feel like it's a little slow. Even at the halfway mark, I still feel like it just kind of dragged a little bit for me, but there is still a lot of interesting things about it. I do feel like she gives a lot of information about the secret societies. And sometimes I feel like it's more than necessary and it doesn't always pertain to what's happening in the story. It is helpful, I guess, to know the background information on these different societies. But sometimes I just feel like it was a bit too much. I did really enjoy the first chapter. I feel like it was very captivating and intense. And it was very gruesome and disturbing. And so I feel like that chapter really just grabbed me and pulled me in um, and made me want to to read the story. Because you have these... this society that is what do they call it prognosticians uh prognosticators that's how I was saying it (laughs) (laughs) so they like they they take this man from a hospital they basically snatch his body away from the hospital and you know no one knows that they took them and they open them up and look at their intestines and insides and are able to make predictions about the future based off of what they see. It's totally crazy and gross and disturbing. And I really loved it. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? What was, what was your thoughts? Well, first I just had to open the book because I was like, wait, did I, did I say that wrong? Because, you know, yeah, they're, um, I guess, uh, prognosticators. You know, it's funny because I, well, I like discussing these books because I, I feel like when, when I have the same experience as you, it's like, oh my goodness. But when I have like a different experience, it's like, I have to re kind of think my own, (laughs) but I, I, you know, the first chapter did not immediately capture me. I did struggle initially getting into this book and I felt like I really had to kind of get used to the writing style and the details that surrounded this university. So I think there was kind of 
a struggle there you know not just in the character but in me just kind of getting used to that kind of style and and plot and I think as I continue to read though I really just kind of I think I was around chapter five um I was kind of like going pretty slowly through the book so far and I was like that's it I'm just gonna sit down I'm gonna you know have all my stuff around me nothing to distract me and just sit (laughs) down and read the book and that really helped me it was kind of like you know the the beginning does go a bit slower but if you just kind of like sit down you focus you read and kind of immerse yourself more into the story that really helps it's not really that kind of book that you can read while doing other stuff I felt in my opinion yes no I I agree I well and and you know my comment about like the first chapter um that captured me and then the rest it just for me it was very slow so yeah um, and everybody's different you know yeah but I I still I think the same way with you like it just it took that that finding a quiet place to read um, so you can focus on it was a lot more helpful than, um, you know, how there's some books you can just kind of pick up and read a little bit here and a little bit there and not get too distracted by anything. Well, this one, you, <laughs> it, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. I absolutely agree. I feel like it, it is that immersive book um, mm-hmm. for sure. So, I mean, beyond the initial thoughts, did you, I was able to definitely connect better into the story and with the main character as I went along, but uh, what would you say? Did you have any favorite characters so far? I really love Darlington, but I hate his name. I I just, <laughs> I know it's a nickname. It's for Daniel Arlington. Oh my gosh. So a quick, um, side note about that too is I think I was at that point where I had been kind of putting the book up and down you know Uh and so when I was originally reading the part where they actually you know say Daniel Arlington I was like oh this is a new character I didn't initially (laughs) I didn't initially snap that that was actually his name oh my goodness yes I know I slapped myself (laughs) in the forehead after that but (laughs) but yes after I got it I was like oh okay 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 that's hilarious yes go on sorry to interrupt you (laughs) Oh no, that was, that was definitely worth it. (laughs) No, I, I really enjoy him. His story is told through the flashbacks because in Alex's story, he has disappeared and they don't know where he is, but I really, because I know that his flashbacks are leading up to that part where he's going to disappear. So I feel like it's very climatic. Like there's this suspense around it. You're wanting to know where his story is going to go, where, how it's going to unravel, how, what's going to lead him to that point where he disappears. And so I really, I enjoy getting that excitement when I read about him and seeing where his uh, world's going to go. And it's also, it's been really kind of just exciting to see his point of view of Alex and how he views her at first and how over time his opinion of her changes. And I really like to see that growth where he starts to see her more than just what she looks like because she kind of dresses a little differently than other Yale kids. And she, you know, she has tattoos and, you know, his immediate thought I think was that she was into drugs and the party scene and things like that. But as the, the time goes on, you know, he really starts to say, like, to see who she is. And so I have enjoyed that. And I really like their interactions together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they make a really good team. Yeah, I agree. And I find it, I find his character very interesting because he's considered a main character because, yes, he has a main part in the book, but he is very much this kind of side character because he takes place all in these flashbacks and those are also the only times Mm -hmm. you are seeing into his own perspective and I thought that was really interesting actually I was just really in flux with these characters some of the characters you know I I liked Darlington (laughs) Darlington (laughs) when his scenes were happening 
but at the same time, I wanted to kind of connect with Alex the most because she is the one that's driving this story. And I think when you start to kind of peel back the histories and experiences of both these characters and how they are different, but also connected, very the same, uh, the way they both even came to Yale Mm -hmm. uh, is very similar, of course. You know, you have the dean who basically plucked them both from the hospital bed. Um, And so I think it's just really interesting. I, I... definitely agree that they are a good team and I'm really interested to see what will be leading into his kind of fate and the circumstances mm-hmm. and you know we're left off with the idea that no he isn't dead but he's definitely not on earth he's definitely <laughs> going to be changed yes exactly <laughs> and I think also um you know, you have these characters in the book that are all very flawed. <laughs> <laughs> they they all are kind of going to their own means and looking out for themselves. And you see this, you know, in Darlington when he's, you know, preparing for his Dante. He's, you know, going meticulously through files and he has this whole idea in his mind about how he's going to train the next uh, Dante and then, you know, continue on. And he wants to stay in the town. He wants to continue kind of having this authority, I guess you could say. I don't think through selfish means, but I think he's just very comfortable in Mm -hmm. his position and he you can't even think about leaving it, which makes it even more ironic that he gets sent to where <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? who knows where. So I think it's going to be really interesting there. And, um, but that also kind of, you know, Alex, she starts as this kind of character in desperation. She sees it as some kind of odd happenstance that she was able to come to Yale and learn all these things and find some sort of new start for herself, a fresh start. And while Mm -hmm. she's there trying to, you know, keep her head down and stick to herself, she does start to subtly change as we get further into the book, especially when she even puts herself in uh, danger. If I was to pick my favorite character, it would be Alex. So uh, one thing I was going to mention about Alex is um, I really like that moment when she's investigating Tara's murders and she goes to the morgue. But I love that, that she goes there with spells in hand, despite the fact that she really isn't supposed to be there and she's not supposed to be investigating this murder. And she basically just kind of goes, well, screw you guys. I'm going to go figure this out myself. And I really love just her attitude and how she made a comment about how she tried to play by the rules and she tried to be the quiet, good little girl and to do everything that, you know, she's supposed to do. And then it was like, well, let's screw that because it's not helping anything. And so she, I feel like towards half, like that halfway point in the book, we really start to see who she is and how she's driven and determined to figure out the murder and also to help her, you know, friend who had something terrible happen to her. And so um, I really like seeing that drive come out. I thought that was really exciting with Alex. Yeah, exactly. I, I love seeing that drive as well. I do have another side character that I love that I'm very fascinated by and I'm really really interested to see what happens with this character (laughs) I love the bridegroom yes yes that is a very interesting character and we haven't seen Uh a lot there no but he's been there he's been around he you know this he's this gray they call the ghost grays and he's been just kind of hanging out on campus this whole time so he gets little like mentions here and there but it's not until he saves her life from arguma aguma yeah that's what it was aguma so it's not until he saves her life and they form this connection 
And she decides to do a ritual to go and meet him to be able to talk to him. And so then I love that moment when they, when they speak and she has to basically go on the verge of death to meet him. And if I remember correctly, they're mm-hmm. not a seed. So she's kind of in this afterlife and they're on, they're in the water. Mm-hmm. And so, right? That, did I get that right? They're in the water and there's yes. the beach off on, uh, there's the shore at the, uh, on the other side where they're, the people are. They're in the sort of river that kind of leads them to it's, an afterlife. And it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of Egyptian um, the river mythology. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but I really love that moment when they talk to each other and they make that deal and they're going to help each other out. And so I'm really excited to see what we find out about the bridegroom and what importance he's going to have on the whole story. Mm-hmm. I kind of had two scenes that stuck out to me that I really enjoyed. And one of them was actually linked to the bridegroom. And it is when Alex is um, basically before she goes to meet him in this river, this kind of the halfway point, what is it called? Purgatory. Mm-hmm. When they're meeting in this purgatory. Yeah. And she essentially has to just beat up this other girl just to get into the room to do it. Oh, and, yeah, that was pretty and awesome. And they mention <laughs> that she looks at the bridegroom and he just looks completely disturbed. A ghost, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny to see the juxtaposition between them because, you know, he's supposed to be this very disturbing, you know, ghost character, which... Um, she's been plagued by them since she was little. And then all of a sudden you just see him kind of, oh my goodness. <laughs> so I, I thought that was pretty, um, pretty great. But uh, uh, yeah, another one of the scenes that I really enjoyed, and this is going to be kind of a, a weird scene to like, but I really liked the one on uh, Halloween night when Alex uh is taking Darlington out of the manuscript house and essentially you know they went in to oversee something and he's kind of you know drugged by this fog <laughs> that goes into his face and he gets you know completely out of it but the reason I liked it was because you know so far we are seeing it we're seeing it in these flashbacks in real times and Alex you know you're not you don't know a lot about her yet and in the flashback scene you kind of see that this was the first time she was really trying or really starting to take charge and act as Dante act as someone who will be overseeing everything over these these houses and making sure that their magic doings (laughs) don't affect other people on campus badly and so she decides to give these the ones who drugged Darlington a favor instead of actually reporting them and I feel like that was really her kind of looking ahead she wasn't necessarily I don't think she was doing it out of some mercy or just to kind of get out of the work I think she you know she sees that the manuscript there's an opportunity mm -hmm, that they have more uh, power than they kind of you know really show and I think that she sees mm-hmm. the advantage in that and being on their good side and she does eventually use that favor so I think it's really kind of interesting how they kind of tied all this together I think as well you know when you start to see this developing change in Alex she you know she wants to solve Tara's murder and initially, she first sees Tara as her old friend, Heli or Healy. <laughs> oh, you were talking about the friend before she came to Yale. Yes. So before okay. she came yeah. to Yale, she did lose a good friend. And when she sees Tara, she immediately, even though there's only really one similarity, which is her blonde hair, she sees um, her friend mm-hmm. in Tara. And... I think it kind of sparks something in her, a fight in her. And I think as time goes by as well, she starts to see herself in Tara. She sees this kind of justice, not just for this girl, but for for girls like her, like Alex and Tara. And I think that was 
really the reason the book that I started to kind of connect more to it and really get into the plot too. Yeah. No, I I really enjoy your comments about that because I I agree. I think that getting to see that part of her and that change in her, I I I feel like the story now, um, and you know, where we left off at that halfway point, like I'm at the part now where I want to keep going and I want to keep reading because her drive is there now and she is determined to find out what happened to this girl Mm -hmm. and knows that the, that somehow there, I think there's three or four of the societies that she has connected to this murder, either by these people were selling drugs to other people or, or they were getting drugs off of one of the society members and selling it to somebody else. And so they're all kind of connected. And so I think that it's going to be really interesting to see where uh, Lee Bardugo goes with it. I also, um, I don't, the last chapter that we read, you find out that something terrible happened mm-hmm. to her roommate. And I think that that is also um, because she cares about her roommate. And I think that it's going to be connected to all this as well. Yeah. And I think it's really cool too, that you have a lot of great female leads in this Mm -hmm. book. Um, They are, they all are very different and Alex starts to kind of become their protector. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm excited to see how that will play out because Um, not to say that there aren't good male leads, there definitely are, but I find that it's really cool to kind of see all these different female characters that kind of just are living their own life and interplaying into the story. You know, you have Dawes, who's goodness, trying to finish that, what thesis of hers. Oh my goodness. And she's a great character because she has, she's sort of in the shadows of Lethe and she has been using it sort of as a crutch but at the same time she does start to develop a connection to Alex you know we've really only seen her kind of interacting in the flashbacks with Darlington and kind of opening up but Mm -hmm. even though they initially started off kind of cold towards one another as they're trying to figure out what happened you see Dawes step up you see her actually defending Alex to the Dean. And I thought that was a really great scene too, that you start to see how kind of how capable these, these characters can be together when they're, when they're trying to help one another. I I love that too. Well, and speaking of the Dean, I have suspicions about him. Please share your theories. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. After that encounter where he goes and visits Alex and Dawes, I don't know. Just the way he talks to her, he kind of talks down to her. Um, he's brushing off every idea that she has. And I don't know. I just get this feeling that something's not right with the Dean. I wonder if the Dean doesn't already maybe know who it is suspects who it is or goodness maybe it's him what about you I think there is a lot we can unpack with the dean and I have a lot of sort of I wouldn't even say theories just more questions (laughs) about him because I think that they vaguely mention how he even became the dean of the school how it was like he was gone for like 10 years and came back and there's a lot of mystery that surrounds what he really wants out of the school you know what his motivations really are and he himself was in that scene with Don and Alex or Dawes and Alex the one to mention that oh Darlington I'm sure is fine he's just in some sort of other plane and He won't even remember anything. He's in some sort of suspended animation. And he is the one who initially says all of that. And I find it just really suspicious. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I think that there's probably some ties to the drugs. That maybe there's some kind of ulterior motive of how these drugs are used. Because it keeps kind of coming up in this story. You know, you see it 
connected to the murder of Tara. You see it connected to Alex's roommate. You see it used in Darlington. And so we have these little breadcrumbs that are kind of leading different areas. And there's a lot of pointing fingers as to what houses are involved. And of course, all of these houses have been under the watchful eye of the Dean. So Mm -hmm. it seems very odd that he wouldn't know more about it for sure. Yes. No, I'm I'm definitely suspicious of him. But, you know, sometimes when you're suspicious of someone halfway through, you find out later with somebody else. (laughs) So I'm really excited to see how this is all going to come together at the end. Mm -hmm. And I have to wonder, too, because this is just book one. And um, it's Alex Stern number one. And so I think we are just seeing inside of this bubble of the world in Yale. You have all of these um, characters that are, you know, doing their thing while learning magic and in these houses. And they've mentioned many times that these houses have produced very influential people in the world. And so I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see if that if or when that world will open up beyond Yale and you start to see outside characters come into play and we might of course we might not see it for this book but I think it's very interesting because it's like you almost kind of forget the fact that magic does exist outside the world and how that is going to kind of come about and so it's I just feel like yeah that's is true it just Yale is it just these drugs in Yale is it some sort of trial that's happening you know why do these does it have to do with where Yale was placed yes, exactly because there's a lot of mystery too uh, they mentioned that as well Darlington mentions it about how it should have been this sort of Eden of magic and should have uh, continued to grow and be prosperous, but something was holding it back. And Mm -hmm. so you got to think about the motivations on if that was someone or something that is really causing this place to just kind of stay in its own status quo. And even though very Mm -hmm. successful people come out of it, it itself is just, it just feels sort of like this one tier, like this one spot that it's supposed to stay that way. So like I said, I have more questions <laughs> than than anything. Um, I could go on and on. Well, and speaking of uh, more questions, um, I want to know more about Alex and her dad. Um, why, like this gift that she has, why is her so different from everybody else? Why is it that she can see and touch grays, but somebody that is in Lethe house, um, in order to see the grays, they have to drink this uh, potion. And sometimes it makes them so sick that they end up in the hospital or over time, even, you know, Darlington had mentioned that the more they drink that potion to see the grays, the more it wears down on their bodies. But here you have this girl who doesn't need to take it. She can just see them. And so I really want to know and touch them. And And so I really want to know more about that ability of hers and where it came from. So I'm really excited to, to see all that. I have so many theories I could just wildly throw out there. If you want to hear them. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So at first I was thinking when I kind of was hearing more about the absent dad was that maybe perhaps he was from one of these houses or from Yale or or at least connected to Lethe in some way. And that makes me think, you know, if for some reason she does have some sort of family connection to this magic, maybe something happened there with her mom. Uh, of course, she could just be like that. I'm just throwing theories out there. But oh my gosh, I just had a theory. When you're done, I'll, I'll, I mean, I thought I'll share it with you. When Go you're done. for it. Let's do it. <laughs> what if the dean is her dad? That would be terrible. 
right <laughs> right i don't think it is but the thought just popped in my head and i was like oh what if it's him i don't know what if it is oh gosh oh, i mean if let's it hope is, not i don't think he knows by the way he treats her i mean maybe right? he does. i i don't know but they did say we do know that Leafy Leafy has been keeping an eye on Alex since she was young. Right? Makes you wonder. Like how young? I don't know. So I, I'm not sure. That's a good theory. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just kind of popped in my head. So um I know there's there's a lot that has not been explored yet mm -hmm. and so i feel like the possibilities of what's going on are pretty endless just because you know they've mentioned that darlington might be in this other dimension or this alternate reality or this um suspended place well that opens up a whole nother avenue of this world that we haven't explored yet absolutely I actually just got a theory too. Oh yeah. So I kind of either have like two theories here, like possibly Darlington found out something about the Dean <gasps> and, and the Dean sent him away. Yes. Like he knew oh he couldn't gosh. kill him. So he sent him away possibly to a place where he like loses his mind or something. Who knows? Oh my gosh. Or at least until he achieves his goal girl yes i definitely think that's what happened because remember darlington they mentioned he was looking into the bridegroom's case yes and dawes kept saying no there's no way he was doing that but i think it was the bridegroom that kept saying oh no he he was he had no he was at the place he was making of the murder. He was at the place where the murder happened. So he found out something because I think the bridegroom is tied into all of this somehow. Possibly. Um, or while he was looking into that murder, he discovered something else at this place. Oh, that's true. Like that's he could have stumbled on it. That's true. Because there's a lot so, of there's a lot of kind of interwoven histories here, mm -hmm. a lot unsolved. Which it's kind of like, geez, Leafy, are you doing anything? Like, <laughs> there are murders and people dying and people thinking that they're tigers forever. But I mean, but yeah, there. I think it he it could be connected. Who knows? So I have another thought. Okay. Um. So they talk about how when they do these rituals that sometimes, and I could be wrong, but I was under the impression that the greys add more like power to it because they want them to be able to be there but they don't want them to cross that barrier into the ritual or they don't want them to be too close or something like that they had to have sort of the gateway open because they can block the houses but it also blocks them from this sort of natural nexus of magic that exists mm -hmm. and I think, yeah, the grays are probably part of that. So I'm wondering if, and I could be wrong, but what what if murders that happen on campus have its own sort of spiritual power? Mm -hmm. That actually could totally be right because of Tara's murder. How suspicious mm -hmm. it was, how it was at this like linked joining of streets, which mimics the way the rivers are right but yeah keep going that's right <laughs> they, they made a comment about that about how um yeah how it was at the two streets because the bridegroom of where his happened it seemed to be a an important spot it so, was wasn't it in one of the not the houses it was in a building at yale wasn't it yes that had been completely paved over I think like it was a yeah. place that was going to have construction done, but it never did. Yeah. And that makes me wonder if maybe these grays are some sort of project gone wrong because when Tara is murdered, we haven't really seen Tara as a gray. I don't think she is one. No, but 
if her murder was some was part of some sort of ritual and it went right maybe if it goes wrong it produces a gray yeah see that would that would be very interesting to find out how the grays are made or the guma itself mm -hmm. because we're, we stand to reason through through what was said so far that they have to be sort of summoned by someone mm -hmm. that they don't just really exist and even if they do it's sort yeah. of rare so one thought is that she she could have been a ritual gone bad you know when she was a baby or something that could be why they would you know have kept an eye on her so what if she was a ritual gone right that's that's true because they've been trying so hard to uh, make it so people can see grays so i feel like wherever she's going with this i think it's going to be pretty spectacular and it's going to be probably something we least expect but i'm very excited to find out <laughs> you know we're halfway through the book now and there's still a lot to be unpacked and that makes me nervous because i feel like <laughs> we're going to end up on a cliffhanger here so do i yeah i feel like we're we're going that's my other theory there it's gonna be a cliffhanger <laughs> prepare yourself right <laughs> oh man <laughs> but uh but yeah i think there's a lot of different ways that this book can go and um i feel actually i feel quite excited you know just talking about it with you and kind of figuring out me too well and I, to be honest, I think part of my problem was that I've read other Lee Bardugo books and this does not read like her other books. Really? And so I think that was part of it too, is because I went into it expecting the narration to be just like her other books. And it's a, it's a completely different style than what her YA books are. So I think I think that too was part of why I had difficulty um, just transitioning into her different style of writing. But Lee Bardugo has never disappointed me yet. So <laughs> <laughs> she's a very good author. So I'm really like, I really think that this is gonna take off, so. Yeah, that's really exciting. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us for part one of Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Uh, we will be back in a moment with our conclusion to see how this really ends, see how our theories have held up <laughs> or something like that. Um, but thank you again. And did you have any parting words? I'll catch you soon. <laughs> <laughs> and the music. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us for part two of Ninth House. And we're here to give our thoughts, our um, impressions. So Phil, why don't you start off? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, to start with, um, Alex definitely grew on me uh, as the story went on. Towards the end, you know, she really starts to take charge and starts to kind of make her own decisions and follow by her own rules. And that was really exciting to see. It's still overall, I mean, it was okay, but it was kind of dry. It kind of, I don't know. Yeah. There was a lot to the story, but, but not enough focus on the plot. I felt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty good. I mean, besides I, I liked Alex from the beginning. I think she really grew on me in the first part that we were reading, but at times, you know, she definitely drives the story and it could be a bit unfocused, I think. It is character driven, but the plot itself at times would just kind of seem to move around a lot. You were shifting what you really wanted to happen in for me anyway as a reader. And it was kind of I could see in some parts where it was going 
because there were certain hints and foreshadowing but well yes we get a big reveal but I think I just was kind of looking for more more besides Mm -hmm. the uh, reveal to the mystery but character you know since you had mentioned character I think you know besides Alex I really liked Dawes Um, I think her character really kind of came out more in the second half and I really was kind of growing to her character because you don't see her as much when they are focusing on Darlington's flashbacks. But once that passes, I think that she comes out as sort of the relatable character of the book. So besides, you know, Alex, I know you grew to Alex. Was there anyone else that kind of stood out to you? Yes, actually. um, And I mentioned this earlier. um, I really still love the bridegroom and I really enjoyed um, his story and his purpose and, I really loved the uh, reveal with his story at the end. I thought it was quite fascinating. Yeah, I agree. That was very fascinating. And I like how, <laughs> you know, you have this ghost, this dead character, who is still having a character arc. At one point, Alex starts using his strength, basically, where she first forces it, and then he gets angry with her. And then when she does call to him for help, he does answer. And I'm not sure if we're going to go into more of how the bonding, I guess, sort of works between, you know, someone live and, and a gray, but... I found that really fascinating, their sort of build in relationship and, and how that might progress. I mean, we'll see if we see him again in the future books, but I think it would be a, he would still be a great addition to the story. Yes, I agree there. I really enjoyed his character. So uh, we've kind of touched on it, but let's, let's go to favorite scenes. Did anything sort of pop out for you for favorite? I really enjoyed the party at the end and just the lead up to uh, the Dean and everything that he did and just the, the big reveal. I love when Professor Belbom comes into the room after um, Alex has confronted the Dean. And you Mm -hmm. find that there's this deeper layer of what's going on in this town. So finding out that Belbaum was behind the murders and that she's got this same ability as Alex and she's basically eating souls. (laughs) I just thought that that was really quite fascinating. Yeah, I agree. And I think it definitely leads up to what more we might see. And I'm going to touch on that later, but... I agree that scene was really great. And uh, you mentioned, you know, layering. I think that was something that definitely stands out with this writing. And what the author achieved is that, you know, you're not just having these multi-layered characters, but you're having this multi-layered plot of Yale, of course, has this a lot of history. And so you not just have all of this history layered down into how the societies work, but how the characters, such as the Dean, misconstrue the history and think of it as just, you know, black and white, cut and dry. This is how you do this. This is how you get ahead. And Mm -hmm. then you have, you know, in the middle of all this, Alex, who we've established from the start is a very morally gray character who sees the grays, ha. Um, But but she does uncover the truth. I think it's sometimes accidentally, but she discovers that it's more than that. It's multi-layered. There are all these different characters that are trying to get ahead and thinking they know right or thinking they know the truth. And at the very end, we do see that it was completely wrong. And in not just with Belbaum, but with what happens to Darlington, you know, mm-hmm. the Dean immediately starts, I mean, we're not really sure if the Dean was telling the truth in the whole a uh, scene where, you know, this demon comes forth and speaks, you know, he says that he was eaten and gone. Basically his soul was devoured yeah. and didn't even pass on. It's just gone. And Alex kind of brings this up, but I think it's just really interesting how there is a lot of layering involved with this story. And, you know, I'm sure we can (laughs) talk about that besides (laughs) the favorite scenes. For me, I think I just, for some reason, I'm just like completely fascinated by Darlington's character. I, I really liked the flashbacks the most, especially when we finally found out as to what really happened that night that made him disappear. 
um, from his perspective as well as, you know, towards the end. But that scene where he does find out the truth about Alec and then gets swallowed up <laughs> quite literally. Right? It, that really stood out to me. I really liked that scene. And, and I'm excited to see, you know, if, when he comes back, where his character really might mm-hmm. go. And also that relationship between him and um, Alex, they have a lot to come to terms with. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That you know he he basically you know finds out before he disappears that she had killed people, but that's as far as it goes, and he doesn't get to uh, hear how it happened. Yeah, exactly. And Alex does have some guilt towards that, towards kind mm-hmm. of just watching him go and. I think that's really what's going to motivate her next in the next books is um, not just redeeming herself, but kind of really taking her place as not just Dante, but but as this sort of champion who who will defend the defendless, like or the mm-hmm. defend the powerless. And she was kind of dead to the world, just trying to survive, trying to get through the day, and. One one part of the book towards the end, when ironically Bellbaum was asking her what she really wanted, she was kind of like, "Oh, I just want to survive." But then, at one point, she says that she wants to see herself old and sitting on a porch, you know, <laughs> drinking tea. <laughs> and I think I I really liked that. I think that that was kind of a next step for her. It wasn't just a surviving the next day; it was being able to see herself sort of content living a long life hopefully with you know less regrets (laughs) (laughs) but you know at the same time uh gosh there were just there was a lot to there was really process in the book I think there was like some chapters left when we find out uh about Blake and him attacking Alex and then I was kind of like okay well We've gotten the so-called reveal, but obviously there's more to go. <laughs> so I I was kind of a little off-put by Blake and that whole reveal because I think I at that point when we were getting to the reveal of the Dean, I was hoping for that scene, I guess, to have more impact for me. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. I, like I said, I enjoyed it, um, but it was a little anticlimactic, even yes. though it's very interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting, and she's got all these layers, but the delivery at the end was very anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she was trying to make more meaning by another reveal of her literally revealing her tattoos again. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think I was just kind of hoping for more, almost more of that being drawn out. You know, the book at times could be a bit slow, but I think those parts I felt could have been a lot more. Yeah. But I mean, overall, I really liked it. And I also really liked that we were totally spot on with the, with suspecting the Dean (laughs) and what he did to Arlington. Right? What I was not expecting was how in that moment when he's being devoured by this dark spot, I don't even know what to call it, this darkness that's <laughs> I think there, it's the you hell know. Mouth or yeah. I wasn't expecting her just to stand there and do nothing. You know, so that was really surprising to me, but that also that's that sur- she's a survivor. And to her, she was thinking, oh goodness, you know, if if I try to help him and what's he going to do? Is he going to, he's going to talk to the Dean. Am I going to get in trouble? You know, because how many people are going to believe that she's able to draw on the Grey's power. Interesting that you say that because we get two perspectives of that scene. And one is sort of through Darlington and one is past tense through Alex and, you know, Darlington from my impression, it seems like all of this happens in like a second, a few seconds. Yeah. But Alex, on the other hand, 
has months to think about. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, she thought about it over and over, especially with how the timing went about how Darlington just minutes before had found out and they hadn't discussed it. Not really. She was, you know, her head was already spinning and then suddenly this happens. And I think, yes, she feels guilt over that and probably has some blame set upon her. And it's kind of hinted too with Darlington. So I I think at the same time, I don't really blame her. I don't really think it was her fault. (laughs) But but also, it's going to be really interesting because I feel like both of those characters are so, you know, headstrong. And that scene, probably, you know, if Darlington is truly this gentleman demon going around, they've probably both thought of that moment over and over and over to the point where <laughs> it's true. distorted now. That's true. So it'll be really interesting. I'm like, will he blame her? Will she immediately try, you know, <laughs> going for forgiveness? And <laughs> will her truth even come out before or if they see Darlington again? Like, I, I want her to open up to Dawes, especially after Dawes has literally killed to save her life now. Mm -hmm. And they have fortunately have that in common now. So, yeah. Well, and speaking of this gentleman demon, I loved how the book ended with her basically saying, well, I'm going into hell and I'm going to go find him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I thought that was really exciting. (laughs) Yeah. That was really sets up for book two. And even though this was slow and at times I felt a little rough and hard to read. I still, I'm really excited about book two and where it's going to go from here. So, yeah, I think that's really great. You know, when I finished it, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, I was pumped. (laughs) I, you know, maybe not as much as like other books, but I, I do feel like, you know, I want to know more. I want to know what happens to these characters. And I think it's going to be really interesting, especially the relationships between them. And mm-hmm. even speaking of relationships, so I, I kind of did have suspicions about possibly Dawes uh, being in love with Darlington. Did you yeah, have sort of the I same thought? So. Yeah, I definitely thought that there was something more there. And especially because she, she goes above and beyond to take care of his house mm-hmm. and the cat and is always there to you know, leave a light on for Darlington. So yes, I was very suspicious that maybe she had some uh, romantic feelings for him. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic, uh, especially after that scene with Darlington and Alex when he has the toxin or whatever, mm-hmm. and gets <laughs> which is really entertaining. <laughs> so I think that those two have something going on too. So it'll be interesting to see what she does with it all in the next book. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, one thing um, that I wanted to mention is that it's, very different writing for her, uh, for Lee Bardugo. To me, it, it feels a lot more like an adult book. And it's also lots of real life uh, sad things that, mm-hmm. you know, it. there wasn't much happiness in the book. There's a, there's a lot of real life tough situations for all yeah. the characters. I agree. So it's, it's pretty nitty gritty. Yeah, I agree. And it did have some moments that I could have done with less detail. (laughs) I definitely agree. It's more of an adult book and not just, you know, with the pacing, but the context and and the characters, what they deal with. I think emotionally it's more an adult book. It touches on certain themes, uh, not just with the societies, but, you know, that can be related the outside world and so I think it's definitely a introspective on what certain people can go through and but still would be a good read for for adults that I think want to be able to still have that fantasy and Mm -hmm. and mystery that element of horror and suspense (laughs) yes we get this sort of suspenseful end where these 
characters are planning to rescue Darlington, which I like as well because he's sort of the damsel in this situation. Right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, not just rescue him, but rescue him from himself. And I think that brings into question the next book. I have sort of an interesting question and theory related to it. Mm-hmm. Dawes and Alex come to this sort of theory or conclusion that Darlington survived the Hellmouth and being swallowed and his soul survived because he is turned into a demon and you can only turn into a demon by killing someone. And immediately I was just a bit confused by this because he had been swallowed like who would he kill that wasn't already dead so that makes me think that possibly he might have killed himself to become the demon too yeah okay i'm glad that your thought was the same it makes sense (laughs) to me but at the same same time i was like maybe it's just me i don't know but yes that was immediately my thought so i'm kind of i'm also a little concerned that the second book is going to be sort of drawn out to where they're only trying to find their way to hell and don't make it to there until the oh, end. yeah i'm a bit or, concerned about that <laughs> or it's them going through hell you know to wherever mm-hmm. he is and then you know well actually i would like um, that i would i'm kind of <laughs> all for like a whole multi-layered uh what is it the seven layers of hell kind of thing i'm not for it let's let's get let's get down to it. it's gonna be nitty-gritty i'm sure very adult but yes. it sounds exciting well, that's, that's actually what i was thinking just because you know she's called dante and he's virgil and I almost feel like she's going to take a spin on Dante's Inferno and have her go through all the different levels of hell to reach him. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my thought of what book two would be about. And I'm also really curious. So I had one more theory of the book. We have Alex who, you know, discovers that Bill Baum is like her what she calls a wheel walker. And I'm curious too, if that's an actual name or one she came up with herself. But we know now there are others out there in the world like Alex. And I'm really curious to see if it's possible that there may be some sort of secret society or walkers out there like Alex who have been able to hopefully not go crazy and, you know, be another strong character introduced. So I'm Mm -hmm. really curious to see how she might use her sort of wheel. I said whale walking, didn't I? Wheel walking. (laughs) Wheel walker. (laughs) She's using her power Hopefully it's, you know, not taking control of her, but uh, I'm really curious how she might take control of it and possibly discover new abilities. Yes, that would be very exciting. So yeah, I think, you know, (laughs) we have a lot of build up (laughs) to the next book. I think I'll definitely come back to it. And me too. Perhaps we will do part two (laughs) of Alex Stern. So yeah. Anything else? Any last thoughts? Um, well, I did want to mention that I was not expecting Bellbaum to be this ultimate villain of this story. That kind of caught me off guard and was kind of an exciting reveal because I wasn't expecting it. But the other thing that really su- like that surprised me, though, was the fact that Bellbaum was the bridegroom's fiance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I liked how uh, Lee Bardugo ties everything together. Like you have all these characters in the story and they all come from either different times of life or, you know, someone dead or, you know, different things like that. And at the end, they're all connected. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, we get these different reveals through the book, but what I most felt was the reveal of bridegroom discovering what Daisy had done because I mean it was just he had searched for years and years and years for her searching for forgiveness and to see now that she was this 
person that had been devouring souls and kind of, you know, treated him just like this silly person. You know, she she had seen him all these years searching for her. And so that whole reveal was really sad to me and emotional, even towards the end when he was still trying to defend her and and save her from her fate. I know. I I really felt for him there cuz they say that he had murdered her, but you know, there's a soul in him and he goes a little crazy and so he's adamant that he didn't do that, which he didn't. So it was very interesting how that all came about. Mm-hmm. And even towards the end, she's kind of dismissive. I mean, they were both unwillingly possessed by a sp- the soul that had just gone through a traumatic event and died mm-hmm. so i mean really it was no faults except the ones who were performing that prognostication but mm-hmm. i think the way that she treated it it was like yeah she still blamed north or bridegroom so i thought that whole scene and and how his character kind of went through all of that was definitely really sad and and even through that as well he you know we're we're a bit unsure he kind of disappears at that point so who knows what will happen with yeah sort of undead sort of uh <laughs> existence well another thing that i thought was really interesting is that the book starts off with a prognostication and so i find it fascinating that you get to see this ritual firsthand and it's so morbid and it's so gross and very disturbing and yet the whole book kind of goes back to that ritual Mm -hmm. so i just think it's interesting how she connected that how she started off with this ritual and you you know you're just thinking okay that was really disturbing but i never once thought about how okay well 100 years ago or 50 years ago or however long it was you know when the bridegroom died i never would have put that connection i never would have thought that a prognostication could have gone wrong and this is what happened. So yeah, I just thought that was and, really interesting. And Alex from the beginning questions it too, how mm-hmm. morally wrong it is. And not only with it being connected towards Daisy and bridegroom, but it also being connected to the grays and the booming she hears, which we, mm-hmm. we kind of, yeah reveal as darlington like yeah that he's been trying to who knows break through or reach her because it seems like she's the only one who hears it and he would know that Mm -hmm. so that's gonna be really interesting (laughs) (laughs) cue scary music but yeah i think i i completely agree it's it's linked to many characters and many main plot points I also think that if that one went wrong, how many others have gone wrong and what has been the the consequences of those uh, rituals that did not happen successfully? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I think too that it's said in the book that the alumni of the societies rely on the magic created there at Yale. And I think I had asked in part one, you know, that Leafy oversees the power of these societies, but who oversees Leafy? And I think that's going to be oh, interesting. Yes. Right now, it seems to just be Alex Stern. <laughs> right? The galaxy Stern. <laughs> I think that's going to be really great. I'm, I'm ready for her to bring more justice to weed out some of this corruption that's been happening over the years. Yes, I agree. I think, though, that as the series goes, it's going to get better. I think with this one, there was a lot of information that she gave us in the story, and it kind of took away from the plot. But I think now that we have all that information about the societies, and we have all that information about how they came to be and um, their purpose, I think now she can really focus on more of the plot and more of what's going on. And, you know, we're already introduced into this crazy world so I think that as it goes on it's going to have more drive Mm -hmm. the other thing though that we forgot to mention and I should have said it earlier I do think it's fascinating how the this what did you call it wherever they build their not their societies 
Colosseum. Oh, the Nexus. Or... The, um... the Nexus. Yes. Yeah. So, so each house has a place of power. And you find out that it takes a wheel walker stealing a soul, you know, killing somebody at these specific spots that are creating all this power. And so I think that that was also a very interesting reveal because throughout, you know, all the history of the societies, eventually you get to hear about the time frame and everything for each of these houses being built. So mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that was just another part of interlayering with this story. You just have this interwoven sort of conspiracy. I'm really interested to see kind of how this writing style might be approached for the next book, especially with the, you know, undertaking of going to hell. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm interested to see if she's going to change her writing style up for that or you know, make well, history have, or hell have more history? I don't know. <laughs> maybe hell will have a library. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I wouldn't want to sort that. It would be interesting, though, if half the book is told through his flashbacks of what happened to him and being swallowed by the hell mouth and how he becomes a demon. So that would be very interesting. I like that idea. Yeah. I'd be cool with that. I think anyone who really likes puzzles will like this book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> definitely a murder mystery. <laughs> yes, definitely. A fantasy one for sure. Uh, so what would you say? What's your rating of this book overall? I would give three leaves. Okay. But you? Well, if we're using halves, <laughs> I actually, <laughs> I, I'm probably going to say three and a half leaves. So a little, mm -hmm. a little, a little leaf attached. <laughs> All right. So I think we are at the end of our review for Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. And I'm happy to announce that our next book, why don't you announce it for us? A Curse So Dark and Lonely. Yes. So we will be reading that book and reviewing it. And if you want to join us in reading it, please feel free to use the hashtag Unbound Tours or hashtag Bookleaf. And we'll be getting sort of a reading group together if you would like to join. So feel free. Thank you for joining us on Bookleaf. If you have recommendations for a book or would like to join us, you can reach us through Facebook and Twitter. Happy listening and happy reading.